Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Um, it's, it is not that I didn't think I'd enjoy being in a room of people called church, but it's just such a pleasure um, to be with you all this morning and see a lot of new faces, um, which is very nice, and some old ones as well. Um, my name is Phil, not Bill or anything else that Stephen Viv called me. Um, <laughs> um, and I've got a special thanks to them, actually. For, for years, I've asked to preach behind a hard plastic lectern. So thank you, Steve, for, it means a lot to me. Um, but this morning, um, I've got a message all about how my prayers got flipped, turned upside down. And in 25 minutes, if you'll give me the floor, I'm going to tell you my journey of Psalm 84. This is the second week in our church's traditional summer um, teaching series around the Psalms um, in the Hebrew, which is the original language of the Old Testament where the Psalms is found. The word literally means praises. So what we're talking about here is kind of the book, the book of praises. Um, as, a, as a side note, I did wonder how that might change our view of some of the different kinds of Psalms um, that are written here if we see them as praises as well. Well, that's a, that's a different message for a different day. But our, my time this morning and our time this morning um, is going to be part testimony and part teaching, which is maybe a little different from those of you who are used to, to hearing me up here. Um, but when Viv asked me to speak and speak on the Psalms, um, I had just finished reading Psalm 84 every day for a month um, for a reason I'm going to talk a little bit about. Um, and it just felt right to me um, to share some of that story, some of that experience, and some of the things that God was doing and teaching me in Psalm 84 in particular into my prayer life. Um, so although it's maybe more poor personal, sorry, at times, my desire this morning actually is to also be quite practical um, and give you something. So I've chosen a level of vulnerability and openness to what God has been doing in me and my spiritual formation and practices that he might give you an invite and an insight into something he might want to do in your life as well. So if you're open for that this morning, um, and receiving something this morning from God, then I have an opening question for you. And the question is simply this. When you reflect on your prayer life, what do you notice? When you reflect on your prayer life, what do you notice? I was asked this question in probably around April this year um, as part of a, a spiritual formation program I've been doing. Um, and as part of that program, we're strongly encouraged to keep a journal. Um, I'm going to read for you a brief and edited excerpt of what I wrote. That's not, that's not a joke line. Um, <laughs> you're going to get one of those in a moment. That's fine. Um, but this is what I wrote in April of this year about my response to this question. Um, I wrote... If I look back on my prayer life, I notice how my prayer behaviors are really unpredictable. When I'm in a more emotional or contemplative state, I love quiet and silent prayer, the purposeful stilling of my mind to seek union and rest in the God who is simply there and within. 
And yet I spend a lot of my daily life um, in a heavily rational mindset as well. And this side of me doesn't want to slow down. I don't, definitely don't want to quieten my mind. And in these moods, I notice that I fill my prayer time with thoughts about life or catch up with my Bible in a year, which frankly doesn't take um, too much of engagement with God sometimes. Uh, or I run through a list of just requests that I want from him and then get on with my day. And I know I do this sometimes because it takes less energy and I don't have to stop. And overall, what I realize um, is that often I mold my prayer to my state of being rather than mold my being to a state of prayer. Now, before... <laughs> that was, thank you. Um, now, before I move into Psalm 84, I just want to make sure I'm not communicating something that's not true. My gel does not always talk like that. So let me just read you a quick one from January that I wrote uh, about a different session. And I wrote, I did not enjoy this session. I found the opening frustrating and gave up and stopped listening. <laughs> that was a kingdom not yet day. However, let's go back to the gold. And it was that final line I'll repeat again. I realized that I often mold my prayer to my state of being then mold my state of, uh, my being to a state of prayer. And that was a very significant realization for me. Um, and one thing I did with that is I, I, sp- I have a spiritual director who I meet with once a month to talk about my relationship with God. Um, and I thought that's something I wanted to take to her to explore a bit more. And we spoke about it and I, I, she listened to me and, and after she just offered me a really simple idea to try out. And she just said, why don't you perhaps choose one passage in the Bible to begin your prayer time and stay with that passage for a whole month and just see what happens. See what happens when you instead begin with God's word and God's truth and see how your prayer is molded by that. And so I did. Um, uh, like I said, I do like my practical, practical things. So I did, and I just happened to have got to Psalm 84 in my Bible in the year. Um, and so I just stopped there. Um, I read it um, pretty much every day for a whole month. Um, I didn't quite read it every day because my prayer practice is not quite that reliable, but I probably read it about 20 times, roughly speaking, uh, in the morning before work. I want to share with you just my testimony of learning from that. Um, It just comes in two themes, the theme of presence and the theme of pilgrimage. So I'm going to start by reading Psalm 84 for us. Um, I'm reading in the the ESV version. I'll give you a moment to find it if you would like to read along. Psalm 84 says this. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy for the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they go through the valley of Baca, They make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength until each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. 
Behold our shield, O God, look upon the face of your anointed. For, in, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. The Lord of hosts, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. So let me begin, um, I think it's going to come up on the slide, just with, with verses 1 to 4 to start with. And this was my theme of my testimony of presence. Now, I absolutely loved reading these verses, but not because I resonated with them most mornings, but because I usually didn't. Um, when this psalm was written, God's presence was focused in one place, the temple. Uh, God's Kings 8, if you want to read about it, when David's, King David's son Solomon built the temple. Um, and this is where the Israelites, the people of God, came to worship, to meet with one another, to celebrate, to offer praises and obedience to God's desires for them. This is what the psalmist is referring to when he talks about the courts of the Lord at your altar or dwell in your house. Now, perhaps, actually, the psalmist is writing about a particular journey to the temple, maybe even to celebrate a Jewish festival where all the people were gathering for one of their feasts or to celebrate their God. And therefore, it's entirely possible, actually, Psalm 84 is the equivalent of what we might see as a Christmas carol. But I particularly loved um, verse 3. God's presence is so good, so secure, that in the psalm, This poetry in this song, that somehow the birds trust in God so much that they choose to birth their young in God's temple and God's home. Some mornings when I read this, it reminded me of Jesus' words in Matthew's gospel in chapter 10, where Jesus said to us and his disciples, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. Even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. But these verses were a really powerful test of my position before God each morning. I read the psalmist saying their whole being cried out for the presence of God. They so yearned to be with God. And obviously, as I went, then a thousand elsewhere. Now, I'm a nerd at heart, so I work this out mathematically. And the psalmist, the psalmist is saying, if you're interested, they would rather have one day in God's presence than two years, 269 days, and 11 hours of life elsewhere. Um, and to put that into some kind of scale for us, maybe, that's enough time to make 47,974 sets of 30-minute brownies. Um, it's enough time to watch the Federer versus Nadal 2008 Wimbledon final classic 4,997 times, although it's only just enough time to watch the extended Lord of the Rings twice. <laughs> Who knew? But when I was faced with this poetic, obviously, testimony this morning of Psalm 84, and the songwriter totally obsessed and in love with the presence of God, 
I was given the choice to discern where I was in comparison. And some mornings I was closer to that place, um, desiring the presence of God at the start of my day, wanting to be slow and present in my prayer practice as a non-negotiable. And other times I was very distracted by the day. I was maybe running late. I was thinking ahead. I had a lot of things going through my head about what I had to do um, or what I had to get done. And in those mornings, I knew I was looking for a prayer version of coffee to go. But we live in a time in the biblical unveiling of God's plan that the presence of God is with us at all times. Through his Holy Spirit coming in power, as we can read in Acts 2. Unlike the psalmist, we don't have to go anywhere, no physical place to find the presence of God. And as Karen rightly pointed out two weeks ago, I am learning that seeking the presence of God is rarely about me asking him to come from afar to be with me. The discipline of finding the presence of God is me choosing to open myself more fully to the God who is already present. I read something on Friday um, as I was pondering this um, that observed that Christian traditions um, that emphasize the experience of God, both contemplative and charismatic, can accidentally imply that when we engage with the presence of God, we are going into an altered state of reality. However, if we believe and we think that God is always present, then it's actually the opposite. Most of the time we live in an altered state of reality as if God is not present. And that when we become more aware of his presence, we are living in reality. So each morning, as I've been saying, Psalm 84 gave me this first choice. Those days that I was rushing to start my day that I did not want to slow down, I wanted to rush through some version of a quiet time or prayer time. Was I willing to stop and let the act of prayer invert my attitude? And mornings like that, Psalm 84 taught me that the prayer discipline I would benefit most was a prayer practice called centering prayer. Um, different draft, I had more talking about that. I don't have time. But it's a prayer practice that we choose to stop, become still, and just try to become more aware of God's presence within us. Alternatively, there were mornings where I did feel more in tune with the psalmist, and I might pray like this similarly, enjoying that desire for the presence of God. Or instead, I may do something more interactive, if that's the right word, which it definitely isn't, but I'll put on a worship song or read through some other scriptures, knowing I was doing it in the slow place of presence. And so that psalmist thirst in Psalm 84 was the first way that, for me, reading Psalm 84 began to teach me how to let prayer influence my mood. The second learning I want to share with you is about pilgrimage, and particularly from verses 5 through 7. I'll read these ones again. They say, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength before each appears before God in Zion. 
Now, when I first read this, um, I did some interweb research on what on earth the Valley of Baca is. Um, and it is thought to be a reference to some kind of difficult area of land. So some translations of the Bible have it as a valley of weeping, which feels a little dark, um, and others on lonesome paths. That's the message translation. But even that little, little piece of work was very helpful for me in illuminating the fullness of what the psalmist was singing about. And what it taught me was a psalmist is singing about a decision for discipleship each day that influences the world around it. These verses also spoke to more strength from the coffee sat beside me or the God living inside me. Some mornings, these verses spoke to me about what I would do with my day. Would I be a bringer of springs and waters during difficult periods of my day or those I interacted with? Would that be the result of my awareness of the presence of God? Um, Christian author and poet John O'Donoghue writes this about each of the days of our lives. He said, Possibility and change become growth within the shape of time that we call a day. Days are where we live. You may wish to change your life, but your new vision will remain merely talk until it enters a practice of your day. And if I could be so bold as to paraphrase Mr. O'Donoghue into this specific setting of pilgrimage and discipleship, then I wonder if he might say this. Desire becomes discipleship within the shape of time we call a day. Our days are where we actually follow Jesus. You may wish to be a disciple of Jesus, but your wish may remain merely talk until it enters the practice of your day. I love that. Um, I think a lot about discipleship and spiritual formation these days. But for all the concepts and the practices and the theology that I'm learning, it comes down to this. Is my heart set on pilgrimage today? My closest experience of actual pilgrimage um, was in 2009. Doesn't feel right. No, my, no, Jen's telling me that's not right. I don't know where I got that from. At some point in my life, uh, Jen, my wife over there, we walked 150 miles across 10 days from Porto in Portugal to Santiago de Compostela in Spain. Um, originally, this was a true Christian pilgrimage to the traditional place to where St. James's uh, bones are buried, um, and it's now just a popular walking route. Um, but it does go to a cathedral, so it's sort of a pilgrimage. Um, has anyone seen the film The Way? A couple of people. You should watch it. It's a great film. But it's a film about this pilgrimage. I would just say, if you watch that and then do the walk, when you get to cathedral... He, they get there in the film, and it's like there's no one there, and it's really momentous. You get there full of tourists, the biggest letdown ever, but I'm off, off script now. Um, but anyway, I had not done anything like this walk before. 
Um, and I kind of recalled it starting very brightly. Um, you know, we bought kind of new equipment and all that stuff to carry, carry the bits, and it felt like an exciting adventure. Um, but I can pinpoint the moment when it stopped being fun. <laughs> About an hour. <laughs> Genuinely, I can remember that what was around me being like, oh, gosh. What have I done? I'm so tired already. Um, and then in that moment, I had a choice. I you know, probably did for a while, but I could continue with a really bad attitude. I'm like, this is going to be a very long 10 days. Um, or I knew I could try and invert and change my attitude. And I, I pushed through and we pushed through um, and through many blisters, 5 a.m. wake-ups, 56 hours of walking, and five Harry Potter audiobooks later we arrived at our destination. And it was one of the uh, best kind of holiday breaks um, really I've ever had. And I share that mainly because it is, for me, the best experiential memory of how, again, Christian author and pastor Eugene Peterson labeled the Christian life, a long obedience in the same direction. And so some mornings, these verses from Psalm 84 would stand out to me more. Was I seeing the coming day as another step in my pilgrimage towards God, towards my discipleship to Jesus, to that long obedience in the same direction? Or had that thought not even occurred to me yet? Again, oftentimes it actually hadn't. And so I had that same choice. Do I invert this mood through prayer or do I change my prayer to this mood? In those times when I knew I wasn't in that place, I therefore sometimes focused my prayer on more verbal and mind-filled prayers, bringing those specifics of my day before God, offering them to him for guidance, for strength going through the things that I was thinking about. And so pilgrimage for me was the second way that reading Psalm 84 began to teach me how to let my prayer influence my mood. So as we come into close, I just want to make clear what I have and just haven't been trying to share with you this morning. I have not been trying to say that after these meditations, each of my days, I went through fully aware of the presence of God, because I didn't. Nor did every single day end up necessarily feeling like a successful pilgrimage. And yet that month in May of this year, trying out this new prayer practice with Psalm 84 was, I believe, deeply significant for me. It's deep in my understanding of how I can pray and find union with God in the reality of each day. And that is what I was hoping to offer for you this morning. So there's a few verses, about seven or eight. And I hope there's some ideas you can think about later. So as we bring back the band, I was happy to share how reading Psalm 84 appended my prayer. And there are three invites I will offer you this morning. 
as we move into response, to find your own relationship or connection with the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Um, I would invite you to close your eyes if you would like to, just as a simple discipline of listening to what God and the Spirit might want to say to you. I wonder if there was something in the psalmist's thirst for the presence of God that resonated, challenged, or encouraged you. Better is one day in God's house than the thousands elsewhere. wonder if there was something about each day having your heart set on pilgrimage. That daily apprenticeship to the way of Jesus. To abiding in him. That next step on the long obedience in the same direction. Perhaps there's a different journey God wants you to travel with him. Beginning with the first invite I was given. When you reflect on your prayer life, what do you notice? Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.